So I, my name is David, and I have been teaching junior high for about 23 years. When we first started coming to church, my, I just heard the preachers always telling me that everybody was wretched. And I, I, I went, when we went home, I told my wife, I don't want to go to that church no more. She says, she gives you that look, you know, all the husbands are like, yeah, I know what that look is. And she said, why? And I said, because I'm not going to hang out with wretched people. I'm not that kind of guy. And she says, that's not what they mean. One of the things I'm asked, this has nothing to do with the sermon, I'm off on a tangent again. I love babies. Uh, from parents to junior hires and high schoolers, and the biggest problem they have is that they don't understand their junior hires. That one day they come home from school and they've been possessed by some alien on another planet. That they absolutely just do not get it. They can't communicate. They have problems. And they come to me and they say, well, what am I supposed to do? So, this doesn't answer everything, but with the help of my son, we've prepared a couple of slides that explains a lot about the way junior hires think, okay? So, the first slide is a typical working adult coming home from work and coming through the door. Now, his, in his mind, it's very prioritized. You know, there's work and then there's chores to do. You've got to repair the car, check the car out. There's just a whole list of normal things that adults think of. And then there's a junior hire's mind. This is just the boy's mind of junior hires, okay? <laughs> and if you want to know what a, a teenage girl's mind is like, just double that. Because when the girls in junior high run up to me, they will go through at least 20 different subjects in one minute when they're yakking at me. And they're showing me the phone and the latest thing that they've done, I just... I just, it's, it's difficult, but that's sort of an answer about what teens have on their minds. All right. Tell the neighbor next to you, this is going to be exciting. Let's roll up our arms and get to work, huh? Our sleeves. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you bring your Holy Spirit into this sanctuary, that you touch the people here who have come to hear a word or a word of encouragement or hope or they've just come here because maybe they've got no other options left. And there are people here, Lord, that are going through things in their life that nobody around them even knows about. And it could be devastating. It could be... It just turns their life upside down. So anoint this message, Lord. Let it not be me, but you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. All right. Turn in your Bibles to the 11th chapter of John, or your cell phone. You know, I don't discourage having a cell phone on. It's pretty useful for looking up the, the Word. So at this time, Jesus had gathered most of his, actually all of his disciples at this time, and he was followed by large crowds. I'm not talking about a crowd like this. I'm talking about thousands. He was followed by them, and they were eager to hear what he had to say. About the, about the word, and they, they were eager to see him heal people of infirmities, of deafness, feed, feed the hungry. It was just an awesome guy to really walk with. But in this particular instance, he needed to teach his disciples about hope and resurrection. And he traveled to Bethany knowing that previously, just a short time before this, that he was almost stoned to death. So let's get into this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
which means that he was pretty much dead. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary, her sister, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ever been in a pit of despair? Martha was. She knew that if Jesus had been there when her brother Lazarus was alive, that he would still be alive on that day. But right now to her, that opportunity had gone. It just appeared to be closed. I got a call from my oldest daughter. She was sitting in the room at the clinic that she went to, and she was crying on the phone. And she told me that the doctor had just walked in. I just walked out and told her that she had breast cancer. And she didn't know what to do. Now, her life was upside down. But they had to operate in two weeks, pretty short time, and then chemotherapy after that. Now, she's a very successful woman. She had a lot of things to do. She's got two kids in school. And she was on the track mom. She was a karate mom. She, was at, she volunteers at the school, and she volunteers at the church, and she, kids are in choir. It's just a whole calendar where every hour is pretty much filled. And she married to a doctor with very long hours. And she told me, who's going to cook? Who's going to clean? Who's going to take care of my husband? Who's going to drive my kids to school? She was in the pit of despair. One week after the operation, she sat in that same examining room and the oncologist, which is a cancer doctor, walked in and shuffled a few papers and said, we didn't get it all. Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Ever get a phone call after midnight? It's hardly ever good. I've gotten some phone calls after midnight, one in particular, 2.30 in the morning. My middle daughter, she spent Christmas break for her with, with us at our house and was on her way back that night to Oregon, back to her college. When I got that phone call, my heart was shaking. I didn't know what to do. It turned out that her little truck had hit black ice on a bridge and slid into a canal. And that truck was under 10 feet of black icy water. I was in shock. And then that shock turned to anger. Because, Lord, if you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. Habakkuk knew something about being in a pit of despair. So we're going to go to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. This is about 600 years before the birth of Christ. At this time, the people of Judah were about to be run over by the Babylonians. They were going to be enslaved. They were going to be taken from their land. So this was part of a prayer to God. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, think about what that means. That means that you as a farmer went out there in an empty field and you plowed that field and you planted that field and you watered those trees, and you fertilized those trees. And at the end of the 
couple of years when they matured, you got nothing. Not a single fig. And the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Ever have a season like that? We did. My wonderful wife and I in 1994 decided to quit the corporate world because we were both doing very well. We made a lot of money. We helped a lot of people. And we said, we can do this ourselves. So we decided to start our own company. Fast forward two years, we were broke. We had no money in the bank. We had lost all our retirement. The house was one week away from being foreclosed on. And on top of that, there was no food in the refrigerator. So we both sat on the couch, and all I could think of was how, what an utter failure I was. We were in a pit of despair. Now we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. Somebody else in the pit of despair. I should mention that today we're talking about conjunctions. It's a grammatical type term, a conjunction. It joins a couple of subjects and the power they have to change your life. Well, in these verses, Jesus had just begun his ministry. People were listening to him. He didn't have any disciples yet. But he still drew crowds who really liked the things that he had to say. Now, this particular morning, he was on the side of a lake. And in this passage, you note that there are two boats, and he chose Simon's. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself, but we'll get to this. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. A real crowd. Think about a real crowd. So he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were cleaning their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Then he asked Simon to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out a little in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon hung his head in shame and said, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. Now, you need to understand Simon was a fisherman's fisherman. He knew where the fish was. He always had the biggest catches. In that little village, he knew more about fishing than anybody else. And yet he had to tell this crowd of people and Jesus himself that he had failed, that he had fished all night and caught nothing. Simon was in a pit of despair. There are men and women in this room, in churches across the land, who can sympathize with Simon. There are people here who have lost their children. They lost their jobs. They've lost their wives. They were humiliated. They've been in that pit of despair, if not in the pit of despair as we speak. There are single moms here who know what it's like to have the car break down and your baby sick. They have worked all night. And caught nothing. Not a thing. You ever work your rear end off on a job only to be called into the boss, boss's office and say, we're going to let you go? You ever cook a dinner for a big family and then you get to clean up? No. 
Ever exercise, eat all the right foods, and you still get cancer or some disease? You know people like that. We're always talking about people like that. Dave, did you hear? John got cancer. And you're like, what? He's eating right. He's doing everything right. He's fished all night and caught nothing. My wonderful wife and I got a phone call. We're always getting these phone calls <laughs> from my youngest daughter. Actually, it was from the counselor at the college that she attended. The counselor told us on the phone that my daughter was headed to the hospital. because she attempted suicide. All that we had worked for, all that we had saved for, all that we had sacrificed for was for nothing because we had fished all night and caught nothing. But I am here, standing up here, to tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt, if you take nothing home, take this. When fear causes hope to fade, you trust in the Lord. Now turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be the best part. It gets good now. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, there's that conjunction. Therefore, because God is our refuge and our strength, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Go back to Martha. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she knew the power of the conjunction. She knew the power that that one three-letter word means. Even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. My oldest daughter called me about her lab results about getting cancer. She said, Daddy... I don't know what I'm going to do, but, she said, but, I know this, that even now God is going to work this all out, yeah. and boy, did he. When word got out that she had cancer, her school family, her church family, her soccer family, her track family, her Girl Scout family, her karate family, they all got together, and they made enough lunches and dinners for her for four months. They took her kids and picked them up and took them to track and to karate and Girl Scouts and school and church and choir and everything that kids are in these days. They even picked up her husband's laundry, took it to the cleaners so that he would look sharp when he got to work. That conjunction made a big difference in her life. When my second daughter was slowly sinking in that canal, she thought her life was over. I talked to her later, and she said, Daddy, I like it when my daughters call me Daddy. I knew that God had a purpose for my life. She said, I wasn't going to give up because of the word. She said, yet, although I am sinking, literally, we always talk about sinking in the miry clay. Which she was slowly sinking in a canal in the dark of night. Nobody was going to find her. She rolled down the window 
and hopped out into that black icy cold water. She swam over to the side of that bank. She couldn't get out. Just then a hand reached down and pulled her out. It was a highway patrolman. He wrapped her up in a blanket, put her in his, his warm patrol car so she could thaw out. She was pretty frozen at that point. And they were driving back to Portland after towing her truck out of the canal. He told her, he said, you're pretty lucky that I happened to be there. I turned around, came back. She said, why'd you turn around? He said, I don't know. Something told me to turn around. I was right, right behind you when I saw your truck go off into that canal. The power of conjunction can change your life. It changed her life. Right now, when she's not working for the city of Portland, she works in her afternoons and evenings at an inner city school in Portland. She's a volleyball coach for girls, for high school girls. You need to tell you this, 80% of the girls that she coaches go on to college with a sports scholarship. You're telling me she didn't have purpose? She had purpose. When my wonderful wife and I were about to lose everything we had, and we sat on that sofa and we didn't know what we were going to do, we said, I don't care if we lose it all. I don't care if we got to work at McDonald's now to make a few bucks. But there it is again. There's that word. Change your life. But we will trust in the Lord. Amen. The next morning at 10 o'clock, our doorbell rang. So I went out there and I opened the door and there was nobody there. But there were two bags of groceries sitting right there on the stoop. The very next day, my wife came running to me from the mailbox and said, we got a check. And that check not only made up all of our back payments and everything we owed, it put food in my pantry and I had lots left over. The power of conjunction. Let's go back to Habakkuk. He said, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet. That's a conjunction. Yet. Here's a man who's up, got his, man, his back up against the wall. They're about to be taken over by people he didn't even know, and he knew they were going to be enslaved. Yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Even Simon, that poor, humiliated, embarrassed fisherman, says, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. But, he says that but again. Simon didn't know much about Jesus, but he knew that he would do something. And he said, but because you say so, I will let the nets down. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Oh, my goodness, what does that do to shame and humiliation? It says, hallelujah. So when fear causes hope to fade, trust in the Lord. And there are those in this church who sit, and you will listen to the preacher say, Jesus will be, you in your, be with you in your hard times. And when you're sitting in that boss's office and he tells you, we're letting you go. Your vision of Jesus is that he is standing there next to you and he's got a cigarette and he's puffing on and he goes, this is going to be a bummer of a day. 
or when your car breaks down and your child is sick, he's standing next to you, and he's thinking, man, this is going to be a bad day. I'm here to tell you that's only 10% of it. Sure, Jesus is going to be standing next to you. Next to you, Danica. Next to you, Raymond. Next to you, David. He's going to be chasing after you. He is not a being that doesn't care about what you're going through. He is actively working in your life. And he is working on your behalf to help you in the situation that you're in. When you're in the pit of despair... You need to remember that it brought Lazarus back to life. It saved Simon. It saved my daughters and it saved my wife and I. And it can save all of you. Psalm 34. My glasses. I sought the Lord and he answered me. You need to understand this was written by somebody, not because he wanted to put down some words on paper, because he wanted to encourage you. This was written by somebody who had been there done that he was in the pit of despair before and he was out and he wanted to tell you his testimony so read this as a testimony i sought the lord and he answered me he delivered me from all my fears those who look to him are radiant their faces are never covered as shame this poor man called i've been there anybody else been poor and the lord heard him he saved him out of all of his troubles The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Well, this isn't going to happen without a church family to reach out around, to reach out to people who are hurting. Look around you. There are people who came to this church today, and they're looking for a kind word, maybe just to listen to them, or maybe even a hug, maybe even a little help. Do you really want to change people's lives? Yeah. Does anybody here want to change people's lives? I want my church, pam- my church family here to be the one that reaches out, to be the feet and the hands of Jesus. I want you to go out there to Church Without Walls. It's only once a month. Do it once a year. So just tell your family, we're going out to Church Without Walls to feed people who are hurting. And don't just feed them. Talk to them. Engage with them. Ask them their name. They get in, how did they get where they're at? You'd be surprised at the stories that you hear. Talk to Pastor Ben. He knows. Now, most of them are probably there because of drugs and alcohol, but there's a lot who are not. And I've always told my kids, everything that you have, it could all be gone in three, weeks time, in three months' time. We could be out in the streets. We could be the other side of the line on the homeless side getting fed by somebody like Pastor Ben. Now, you need to understand that everybody's lives, at one point or another, will go upside down. And I know a lot of you have. But if we're the hands and feet of Jesus, we can change this world one person at a time. Amen? Amen. (laughs) So before I conclude this message, i got something to tell you. If you're a teenager, going back to junior hires again, If you ask your teenager, how was your day, this is what they hear. I'm asking about your day because I feel like I should probably ask you something. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Because if you're not, you're in trouble. I want to know if your day, if you could summarize it in one sentence, because I'm busy. 
Now this is what they want to hear from you. I really want to know about your day because I really care. I care more about you, how you feel, than how much homework you have. And I'm here to listen, really. So how do you communicate this? One day, my daughter walked into my office when I was working on stuff, and she asked me a question. And most of the time, I'll be honest with you, I just keep looking at the computer, and I just answer her. This time, I didn't. I took all the papers I had in front of me, and I just pushed them off the desk. And then I turned my computer off. And then I turned to her, and I asked her, I answered her question. And let me tell you, it was a game changer. She sat there next to me, and she started talking. And we talked like never before. So when you communicate with your teenagers, do that Jedi mind trick. <laughs> Everything. It's, oh, it's this? OK. <laughs> I do a dab. I don't know. Let your body communicate to them that you care about everything that goes on in their day and that you just don't want a superficial conversation with them. Thank you. <laughs>